I'd like to invite you to turn to page 1049 in your pew Bible, or if you have your own Bible with you, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And our reading today is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Uh, just a few words of uh, introduction before we go to our reading. Uh, sometimes I've found, and this is more when I was younger, I don't know why it doesn't happen so much anymore, but every now and then when I was younger, I would meet other Christians, and they would sort of start a conversation with me that at first seemed casual, but really they were asking really pointed questions about what I believed. In essence, they were trying to kick the tires of my theology and figure out if I was orthodox, basically. Figure out if I had all my theology right. Uh, and and it, you, you, at first I thought, oh, this is just a conversation. And then it kind of got more and more personal and more and more pointed. And I, after a while I thought, well, why don't you just ask me about that one topic that you're really interested in? Then we can get straight to it instead of having all these sort of preliminary conversations. And uh, if you've ever been approached by somebody who wants to involve you in their pyramid scheme or their multi-level marketing scheme, it feels a lot the same way. So I've gotten better at sort of spotting it up, up front is, uh, you know, they're trying to, well, what do you think about predestination? And, oh, well, you know, that's a long topic. So um, if somebody's really interested and they're really seeking, then absolutely it's great to keep that conversation going. But if they're just trying to put you through some sort of theological litmus test so that they can categorize you into some pigeonhole so they know how to deal with you, either to write you off or to, to con convince you of their theology, then um, you know what? It's okay to end the conversation. There's two ways that are great to ending the conversation. The, the, uh, the direct way is just to stop talking to them and uh, they, you know, just walk away. The nicer way is just to simply say, well, I believe what the scriptures say about that topic. And then there's nowhere to go, is there? And that's actually true. If that's true for you, then uh, there's really nowhere to go. Then you can talk about the scriptures, which is always, as we'll see, is always a much better way to go. Well, the early church kind of had some problems around this question of, do they have the right teachings? Do they have the right beliefs? The early church grew out from just the 12 disciples and all sorts of new converts came in. We read in the, in the book of Acts that thousands of people at, on, on some days were added to their numbers. Well, new people come into the church, they have to be trained as to what actually happened. And you can imagine the disciples were probably in overtime just saying, you know, well, we met Jesus and we went to Jerusalem with him and all these things happened. And then somebody finally said, well, why don't we write that down so that you don't have to keep telling that story? Other people can tell us. So this is how we got the scriptures. And people who came into the church were then able to access these writings and understand what it was that Jesus was teaching. But in the hurly-burly moments of the early church, where all sorts of things were in flux, it was also very easy for wrong teachings or false teachings to creep into the church and take hold. If you look at the New Testament, a pretty large part of the New Testament is dedicated to kind of pushing back at those false teachings. And you look at the, uh, the epistles from the Apostle Paul, a lot of that work is set, is set out to clarify 
what the actual teachings of Jesus are so that it can push back against some false teachings. Now, in the history of the church, there's a word called heresy, which is sort of a general category for a false teaching. It's a strong word. It's, it's kind of a, it's a heavy word. It's laden with a lot of baggage. Um, and so it's actually an appropriate word, but I think, I think an okay word, way of talking about this is there were false teachings and there were false teachers in the early church. The Apostle Paul thought some of those false teachers were spreading false teachings just to benefit themselves. Others did it simply out of ignorance. Or others in sort of imported it from their own former religion and they came into Christianity and they never critically looked, like, looked at their own former set of beliefs and they sort of subtly imported them. All of those, <coughs> pardon me, all of those are ways that false teaching came in. Thus, it's so important to have the scriptures because the scriptures lay out what the true teachings of the church are. And that's why it was so important for the early church to take all the writings that it had and try to figure out which ones of them, and we believe they did this with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to take, figure out which ones of them were actually scripture and which ones of them weren't. And that whole process actually took quite a while, took many, many, many decades for them to settle on all that, called the canon or the, the canonical scriptures. We, we have inherited that today as the wisdom of the, of the people in the church that went before us. Our reading today, John 1, is like a treasure chest of proper teaching about the nature of who Jesus Christ is. It's one of the most important places in the Bible where people would read this and be able to push back at false teachings. Our reading today makes a great number of claims about who Jesus is and what some of his attributes are. So what I'd like us to do with that introduction is I'm going to read it and then I'm going to ask you to make a mental note or even a note on paper as to some noteworthy things that this text says about the nature of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to actually ask us, we kind of did some back and forth a few weeks ago and I really like that. So I'm going to ask us um, at the end of the reading to speak up and see if you've heard anything that, you, that really stood out to you. So... With that introduction, page 1049, John chapter 1, 1 through 18. Let's read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every man, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become 
children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would send your Spirit to enter into this place now, to open our hearts and minds to your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, true to my word, I hope, what did you hear? Any claims about Jesus that stood out to you? Put a hand up if you want. Yes, Rebecca. Fully God. Yep. Jesus was fully God. In the beginning with God. So he was way back. Yep. He was present at creation. Interesting. Yeah. Does that bend our minds a little bit? Oh, yes. He was the instrument of creation. Through God made things through the Son. Yeah. The problem with this passage sometimes is it creates more questions than gives us answers, but that's okay. It's a bit mysterious, but we can't expect to understand God all the time. There are more, I think. Yeah, Adele. He's light and truth. Good. Yeah. Grace and truth came through him? Yep. Not yet. That's actually where this is going. Yes. The Word became... Now, where you see the word Word with capital W, that's, that's Christ, yeah. And that's another whole other topic. In fact, there's a whole... There, you, could, you can find a book this thick explaining what that word Word means. It's the Greek word logos. And it's, it's quite an extensive area that we just can't get into this morning, but it's huge. But the Word, Jesus Christ, it says, became flesh. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. 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 He's he has a unique relationship with God. He is with God and in God and he reveals God. Yeah. Yeah. Are we all totally confused? It's okay. <laughs> this is a tough one. But let's let's unpack just one part of this. Um Someday we maybe could do a sermon series, like a 12-week sermon series, and unpack each one of these things, but uh, not today, not today. Um, the one I really want to focus on is the one Ona brought up. Thank you, Ona. That the Word became flesh, and as the message writes, uh, Eugene Peterson, who made this sort of paraphrased translation of the Bible called The Message, the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. It's kind of nice, you know? He set up shop next door to you. The word became flesh, 
and dwelt among us, or made his dwelling with us. And it's hard to say if John wrote this to counter any particular false teaching that he was thinking about, or if he was writing this so that it could just all be, be out there and be a tool. But there was one false teaching at that time, which I think we need to take a look at because it's actually still with us a little bit. Uh, it was called docetism, still is called docetism. Docetism is the belief that Jesus wasn't really human. He only really appeared human. It's from the Greek word dokeo, which means to appear, to look a certain way. And there were some various, in the early church, there were some various people who held to this belief that when Jesus came, he was always just God. He wasn't God and man at the same time. He didn't take on flesh. He was something like a phantasm, is the word that they used. He was an apparition, an appearance, or we might even say just an elaborate hologram of a human being. But he wasn't really there. And so he, 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 to the world, he appeared like he was human. But in actuality, he was just God floating around the earth. Now what, yes? Right? Right. This is probably why Luke uh, and Matthew wrote these accounts of Jesus as actually having a human birth, because that was a, that was a live question. Is here's Jesus. He arrives on the scene. Where did he come from? Did he just appear out of nowhere like that? Or was he human? Did he have a human birth? And so, yeah, people had that question, absolutely. And it was probably for that reason that uh, two, at least two of our gospel writers went to the trouble of investigating his birth. And there's a good chance that Luke, being a really thorough person, and this is just conjecture, is that Luke did enough snooping that he actually one day found Mary and interviewed her. Because there's some details in that birth narrative in, in Luke that are the kind of details that only a mother would remember, you know, about how he was born. And, and she was wondering about, well, where are we going to have the baby? Where are we, you know, those are things that, that moms think about more than dads. So it's quite possible that, that Luke found Mary and got the story of Jesus being born. Yeah, good question. <clears throat> the problem with, um, the, with docetism, this idea that Christ was just an appearance, is then that everything he experienced in the earth is also just for show. It's just keeping up appearances. And that when he died on the cross, it appeared painful to the rest of the world, but in actuality, it cost God nothing. It wasn't painful at all. It was just appeared. Um, now, we still have this false teaching. It kind of creeps in everywhere we go. We don't really like to think of Jesus as being in the flesh. I mentioned this on Christmas morning. We had a kind of a nice casual family Christmas worship service here in the fireside room. We have one Christmas carol that still holds on a little bit to this old false teaching. It's Away in the Manger. And I love Away in the Manger. Who can think of a line from Away in the Manger that would have a bit of docetism in it? Very good. You guys are super sharp. Oh, he just looks like a baby. He looks like a cute little baby, but he doesn't do all the things that babies do. He doesn't cry. Well, every baby cries. If they're a real baby, they cry. If they have flesh, they cry. 
A real baby fills his diaper and has to be changed. The little Lord Jesus filled his diaper. I've got news for you. Is that blasphemy? No. This is the, this is the proclamation of the gospel. He entered the world and he ate human food. It went through his body. His body is a normal body. It converted his food into waste. And Mary and Joseph, we hope Joseph, had to change it if he was a good dad. Somebody did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> oh. Yep. Yep. I wish somebody would do that for me. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, so it's still with us. It's still with us. I want us to think a little bit about how are we still looking at Jesus and saying, it's just for appearance. He doesn't really come in the flesh. He doesn't really enter the world. He doesn't really cry as a baby. He doesn't really cry as a man. Now, one question before we go there is, should we care about false teaching? All right? If, you, if I had sent you a note in advance that we were going to have a sermon about false teaching in the history of the church, you'd be like, oh, wow, we could really watch the, the 49ers today. We could stay home for that one. This is dry stuff. Can be, right? Do we, do we really need to care about this dusty stuff that's kind of in the, in the theology books? Well, honestly, sometimes I'm a little bit uncomfortable around people who care about this stuff too much, the ones who come and try to take my inventory. I'm a little cautious about that. But there are times in our life where we really need to know what the Scripture teaches so that we can be prepared, so that we can give a testimony to somebody who needs it, or so that we can spot a false teaching when it comes at us and tries to find its way into our life together as believers. Disciples should know what they believe. They should be so in tune with the Master's words that they can detect when something is going on. Now, I've been asked, actually, if we can take some time someday, maybe in a teaching or a, a Sunday school class, to help us understand, for example, what is it about Mormons? What is it about Jehovah's Witnesses that's different than what we teach and believe? That's actually a very important topic. This passage itself is a very important place of divergence between us and both of those groups. We, I think we should get into that, and someday we can, because those are our neighbors. We see them all the time. When I was home for Christmas, two Mormons came by the front door, and my mom, um, my mom doesn't waste any time. She just, what did she do? She just slammed the door in her face. I don't want to talk to you. Yeah. And I wasn't home at the time, but if I was home, I would have talked to them because I, I think it's fascinating, although it can be a real waste of time. You, you, you don't always get too far. Um, in this case, we really should care about this teaching that Jesus actually came in the flesh, that he came as a child, that the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhoods. Um, the apostle, uh, the apostle John in 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but in 1 John chapter 4, writes this. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Interesting. 
that he makes that claim. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So for John, this question of Jesus coming in the flesh was so important that he went so far as to say that every true doctrine of the church will claim that Jesus came in the flesh. And every doctrine that comes our way that chips away at the idea that Jesus came in the flesh is a false prophecy from none other than the Antichrist. Now that's, in our translation, that's with a small a. There could be one big Antichrist, and this would be from maybe a lesser one. John was alarmed about this. But it's important to us because actually everything that God wants to do in the world, everything, that God wants to do in the world, including creating the world and giving it shape, has to do with this. We see it in this passage. He was present at the beginning. He, God used Jesus as the instrument through which he created the world. The word then became flesh and lived among us and experienced it. Now here's the thing. This is central to our teaching. That Jesus Christ had to come in the flesh so that he could actually atone for our sins in his flesh. I'm going to say that again. Jesus Christ had to come in the flesh as a human being so that then when he went to the cross and he died as a human being, that sacrifice there would be the one that would give us new life. He also came in the flesh so that he could identify with us when he pleads our case before the Father. He can say to the Father, I've walked in their moccasins for five miles. I know what they've experienced. I've paid the price for them. And he came in the flesh so that he could engage this world with all of its pain and all of its brokenness. He needed to know what it was like to be human. I'm going to give you just a brief list of all the things that Jesus experienced as a human being. He experienced anger. Jesus got angry many times in the scriptures. Jesus experienced hunger. He went 40 days without eating. He was hungry. Jesus experienced sadness. He experienced temptation. He experienced cold and hot. He experienced exhaustion, mental, spiritual, physical. He had to go and be alone by himself sometimes just to rest. He experienced grief at loss. When his friend Lazarus died, he wept. He wept, even though he knew he could raise him again. All these things that are human, he experienced, and yet he didn't sin. For us, it's extremely important that God comes into the world in the flesh as Jesus Christ. Because that's a model for us as disciples. As disciples, we are asked to model our lives after Jesus' life. So that means that we also need to enter the world in our flesh. We need to be present in the world in our bodies. We can't just appear to be in the world. We can't just phone it in. We can't just keep up appearances in the world. We have to enter into the world in every possible way. What does that look like? One example might look like this. You have a friend who's going through grief. You have to put some skin in the game sometimes 
with that thing. You have to be present for that friend. You have to enter into their life, enter into their sadness, be with them in that moment and experience it with them. That's the love that Jesus models for the world. He models it for us so that we can do it for somebody else. There's a really big difference between that and just appearing like we care. Just slightly being there. Just being around the periphery of it. So as Jesus enters the world and he engages with people on every level, he asks us to do the same. And he also asks us to sacrifice for this world, to suffer for it in the way that he suffered for it. One thing that the scriptures tell us this morning is that Jesus reveals the Father's glory to the world. He reveals it in his being, in his presence in the world, in his humanity. God wants our flesh to be in this world so that it can reveal him to other people, so it can reveal his glory. And there's one last thing that I think is huge about this. Our hope is truly in the reality that God came in the flesh in Jesus Christ. This is where the foundation of our hope as believers is because of this. If his death and resurrection was just for appearances, was just an elaborate phantasm, if he experienced none of that pain, then he didn't really need to experience the resurrection either. That also was just a show. It was just a sham. Of all people, we have the hope that when we die, we will be raised again to a new life and to a new body in the flesh. In my flesh, I will see God. When Jesus comes in the flesh, dies in the flesh, and is raised again in the flesh, he gives us hope of our own resurrection. But without him coming in the flesh, that hope is nothing. And we of all people are to be the most pitied, the Apostle Paul says. So where does this leave us? In ten minutes, you're going to walk out the doors. You're going to be God's skin in the game of this world. You're going to be his flesh going out into this world as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples. And God's going to ask you when you walk out that door to be fully present to the people around you, to engage with them in every possible way so that you're able to share their experience of pain and joy and fear and everything that's in their life and that you enter into that life. By doing so, you testify to the glory of the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, entering this world in the flesh to teach us how to do the same. Send us out this day as your flesh and your blood and your skin in the world that others may see your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.